Hello there and welcome to Racehorse Movies, the show where two film fans take a racing sheet from last week, pick a random horse name for each other and from that name pitch a movie. In the pitch, to flesh out our movie ideas, we may include such things as stars, directors, composers, best boys and stable boys. Maybe not that last one. Hoping none of our ideas have to be put behind a screen and shot. The sky's the limit, the horses are on the starting line, the jockeys are frothing. It's time for Racehorse Movies. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode, not even another, in fact, the penultimate episode of Racehorse Movies mm. for this season, guys. So I'm, I'm very excited. We are absolutely uh, amped up uh, to deliver a couple of great pitches for you. I'm joined by the ever-glorious uh, Graham Thomas. Oh, thank you very much. Hello, everybody. And lest I leave myself out, I am, of course, Luke Sell, and you are all very, very welcome to the Mind Cinema. We've got a couple of uh, treats for you guys in store tonight. We certainly do. Um, before we get into the horses that we picked and where we picked them from, I want to learn a little bit about you. How are you? What have you been up to? I have been to a festival, Graham. You did. I've been having an absolutely wonderful time in a field in the sunshine, surrounded by uh, lovely people and lots of brilliant music, mate. So uh, I am on cloud, uh, whatever it is that is high. End of the Road Festival, was it? End of the Road. Sorry, I haven't even mentioned the name of it. Yes, indeed. Which, so uh, many festivals. It happens is. in the middle of sort of nowhere in the Lama Tree Gardens in Tollard Royal uh, every September, man. Always sees out the uh, sort of like the gigging year for me. Amazing. Any standouts? Where Wilco were a really wonderful mm. opener. Um, the last dinner party opened the uh, Thursday evening and they were absolutely like, keep your ears peeled for them. They they were a mixture of Queen meets even more Arch kind of pop. <laughs> and it really set the uh, tone for the entire weekend of wow. absolutely brilliant. And so instead of me harping on... Um, we do like a bit mm. of a mix, a compilation, don't we, on this uh, this fine mm. podcast. So I will, uh, should your ears desire yes. it, people, put a little uh, compilation of everyone that I saw at the festival in the uh, show notes. So check that out and enjoy enjoy listening, uh, hopefully nearly as much as I did uh, in front of them in real life. Nice, well done. Uh, dude, so what have you been doing with yourself while well, I've been out uh, in fields uh, and whatnot? So what have I been up to? Well, day before last, I went to the BFI. Uh, on the South Bank, and I saw, as part of the Acting Hard season of programmes being put on, I saw a 35mm print of Shane Meadows' masterpiece, Dead Man's Shoes. How mad. With a QA and a afterwards, (sighs) which was amazing. It's a full-on watch. It's got everything in it. It's so funny. It's so heartbreaking. It's really scary. It's like you have a brief synopsis without giving away yeah, the sorry, game. Yeah, sorry, please do. Yeah, absolutely. It's a film made in 2003 or four, I believe, by Shane Meadows and written by Shane Meadows and Paddy Considine, who plays the central character of this film. It's set up in Matlock up in the north. It follows Paddy Considine's character, Richard, who's the older brother of um, a boy with learning disabilities called Anthony. And Richard comes back to Matlock to track down um, the adult bullies who messed around with his younger brother and like an avenging angel. And it's really tender and sweet, the relationship between Mm -hmm. him and his brother and the fury and the guilt and the sadness of Richard because he was away in the army while his younger brother was being bullied. So not being there to protect him and coming back. And 
you spend the majority of the film really with the bullies following them around. They're all grown men who are living in Matt, are really scuzzy, horrible, horrible dudes that you see in pubs and doing um, nasty deals clubs, and doing nasty deals and just being really running grubby. the village. Yes, running the village. So yeah, like real right. small town crooks who think they're they're Leviathans and beasts. They're probably bullies at school who've never really grown out of that mentality. And you follow them around and they're just bumbling idiots and you follow them around as this terror is wrought upon them. It's <laughs> a masterful film a lot of it was improvised hmm. a lot of it it was shot in 18 days which is Jesus mental wet man maybe that helps add that uh, incredibly tense atmosphere to it like the energy yeah, yeah, the yeah. energy that film has I guess you get that with such a short shoot so Dead Man's Shoes and I saw it on 35mm which I was very happy about because there's not many of those prints knocking them out it was amazing. And what about you? What have you been up to cinema-wise or film-wise? Film-wise, uh, I have uh, watched Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny, I believe it was. OK. Um, that was very shiny, wasn't it? Uh, it was just It was very shiny. shiny. It was very long. It was shiny, it was long, it was very nostalgic, and I don't mean that in a good way. That's mm. an insult. Um, mm. I didn't think we needed <laughs> to do things like... <laughs> what kind of an insult? That's a terrible insult. That's, that's, tell that's an insult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought it was lovely, just, which is an insult, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I just seem to have bypassed my sarcasm chip. Lovely hat. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was just a. It was kind of like this big sprawling thing. It wasn't as bad as Crystal mm. Skull. Um, I liked no. Ford. Got to do some fording. I saw some light in his, mm-hmm. his eyes. I liked the way he bounced off a of Phoebe yes. Waller Bridge. I thought their relationship was excellent, yes, and was she good. really lifted the grumpy, uh, sad sack Ford to where he needed to be to keep the film fairly propulsive yeah she gave a lot of energy yes a ton of a ton of cgi man and it's such a shame i won't go into the ending uh but i i <laughs> kind of love the endings like yeah okay it's good so yeah. Bonkers. <laughs> yeah yeah i was i was in at that point because i guess i spent yeah. two hours so i had to be because i was like fine yes if it is a bonkers ending but then you know all the endings to indiana jones films are completely batshit absolutely right? yeah, the, yeah you have to it was okay it wasn't a disaster i was expecting a disaster it was actually like pretty entertaining it's just a shame it's two and a half hours long have all the action scenes yes the the opening action scene literally goes on for 30 minutes yep yeah, so it was it was it was not bad. I can't hardly recommend, but I was expecting a disaster, as I said, and it wasn't quite that. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I watched the uh, last voyage of the Demeter, which was again long. It was it was dude. What are you doing making a horror movie two hours when you are setting it on a boat <laughs> with like four four people? There's only like five crew members, yes. one of whom <laughs> at one point is brilliant. They they. Uh, they find someone, and I so wanted someone to shout, Captain, Captain, we found some exposition in the hold, when they bring up a girl that they find in the hold who's stowed away, who just starts, like, dumping so much completely unnecessary information about Dracula on the audience. We can be hitting a real tense, tight, 90-minute horror movie mm-hmm. that just gives me a little bit of a spin on these three pages from uh, Dracula. That sounds like a fantastic yeah. pitch. I'm up for that. It does sound like a good idea, yeah. That's the kind of thing we'd do. Yes. It's a good idea. Kind of it's, kind of, it's kind of a good idea. I'd imagine someone like Mike Flanagan might have done something quite nice with that material. <laughs> you know? Not being a great film run for you then of late. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and The Last Voyage of the Demeter. <laughs> yeah, I know. I will, uh, I'll pick things up for next week, I promise, guys. I won't just come and complain about two films. But yeah, those were my, uh, <laughs> my swings and my misses, I guess. Well, we've done, I think, other than... Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, buzzer alert for mentioning it. <laughs> we've been pretty positive about every film that we've watched on this podcast so far, so I don't think it's too bad to come in and say, oh, it wasn't up to 
scratch Snuff. for us, I yeah. think, you know? Yeah. There we go. Well, we've done that. Should we get out of the foyer and into the cinema, out of our yeah. car and into Should our dreams? Should we get Oh, um, I, I need to do a mm. quick emergency announcement first, actually. Uh, last episode, uh, and, and Lloyd has already had a word with me about this, I did refer to Lloyd as Floyd a couple of times. Uh, he has been putting cigarettes out on my scripts. He has been <laughs> thoroughly miffed for the entire week, so I needed to uh, publicly get this out here. Lloyd, uh, I am forever in your debt, and I'm extremely sorry that I got so excited by your mere presence I mispronounced your name a couple of times mm. last week do forgive me i did i did notice that and in fact i did it myself oh, as well that, that but, was my fine but i told him that it. i told him that you did it I, I thought you would have and i accepted it do you see how quickly i rolled over as you said i told him. i was like <laughs> yeah it was definitely me you can definitely blame me uh, so yeah many apologies lloyd and uh please don't splice anything into any of the mind cinema screenings tonight okay i think i'll get you a pack <laughs> of pal mouths we'll be absolutely copacetic again okay so with that out of the way and with my face reddened uh, with shame should we get on and uh, pitch a couple of movies my man let's do this Okay, so here we are in the Mind Cinema, and last week we went to the 355 at Bath, and I chose for you, I believe, the horse named Stiletto. You absolutely did, and in return, I believe I gave you a fair dinkum. You did indeed, and I believe I went first last week, so I should... Go first this week. No, I went second last week, so I should go first this week. <laughs> you did, absolutely, yes. And one of the reasons why I am going to go first this week is just to get out of the way now. My, apolo- <laughs> my apologies. He's, he's getting on his knees here, folks. What's happening? <laughs> for possibly offending an entire nation because you gave me... It's your fault. Because you <laughs> gave me a horse called Fair Dingham. And that doesn't leave a lot of room to, to come up with something that isn't a litany of stereotypes. <laughs> Look, I mean, it's like a ninety-minute Castlemaine forex. Actually, <laughs> it's basically coming away. Okay, <laughs> Christ, here we go. All right, so we open our. <laughs> that's that's the go. spirit. <laughs> so we open on a typically like massive vista of the outback, like a huge drone shot. Nineteen seventeen, the Barclay Tableland, Northern Territory. We have a night scene, very high vista night scene, and it's a cattle drove. Uh, so, like three thousand head of steer are all kind of calmly herded together, set up for the night. There's an encampment nearby for the cattle drover and the other stockmen, which are the horse, the horsemen who shifted these huge amounts of livestock over unbelievable distances. <laughs> Incredible um, feats of horsemanship and outdoorsery, I guess. Yeah. And we meet um, a guy called Nat. And his daughter, Alice, who's 19, 20, something like that. And this is her first drove. And they're walking through the camp at night. Everything's really peaceful and, and nice. The, the cattle are all looked after. She's really exhausted, but she's, you know, got her spirits up. The father's really proud of her. And he says that, you know, there's only three months left of this. They've been going for like a year and a half. There's only three months yeah. left of the drove to Dan, to Danjara to deliver the cattle. And then it's an easy trek to their new family home in Durban. And she says she's looking forward to becoming a teacher there. And she jokes that, you know, if she ever sits on a horse again, it will be too soon. And they speak to the other cattlemen, the stockmen, and they say that everything's set for the night. And um, some will continue to keep watch. And then 
Alice's brother Francis and the cook, Cardi, they set off on a night ride to establish the camp for the next stop. Yeah. So they, the family say goodbye to the brother Francis, who's an experienced driver, and the cook, Cardi. They go, they go off. Alice pats down her horse and prepares to get into her swag, which is another Australian term there for a sleeping bag. There you go. The father comes up to her and hugs as he looks out of the scene and he takes a little crucifix pendant out of his neck and kisses it and says, family, prayer, work. And he hands it over to Alice, who also kisses his little crucifix chain. And he hugs her very tightly and she says goodnight, gets into her swag and she watches as the father walks into the night back to the other side of the camp to talk to the stockman and do business. This is his profession. She's kind of just on for the ride, but she's doing very well, just keeping up and surviving. Yeah, yeah. Later that night, a gang of rustlers, or duffers, another bit of Australian <laughs> thing there. There you go. Um, led by Blake Rivers. They're watching over the encampment. And they sneak in, moving between the animals coolly and calmly. But we also, as they're stalking through, the camera comes down and we also follow a, a snake Brackets, type unknown. (laughs) Close brackets. (laughs) I didn't research that part. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. As it goes through, the the, um, the rustlers silently kill one of the stockmen who's just like cantering or just trotting around the the perimeter of all these cows. They pull him off the horse. Yeah, yeah, I can see that happening. One swift, fluid movement and he's gone. Um, They're about to move into the camp to kill the rest of the drovers when the snake is disturbed by hoof. And it leaps up and it bites one of the uh, one of the rustlers on the leg, and obviously he screams and um, just shoots off his gun in the air because it's a sudden shock. This noise alerts the camp and it also spooks the herd of cows. So they go crazy, they collect crazy and embark on what is known as a rush, which is basically a stampede. Right, right. Nat, Nat wakes up and yells, rush, as 3,000 head of cattle go berserk. They stampede from their holdings at night time, charging through the camp, like the fires are getting knocked over. We can imagine some tents going up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, gr- the grassland starts um, getting kicked up into flame. Maybe some steer, a set of light. Tarps are burning. It's a horrible chaos. Alice obviously is terrified. She's inside her swag, her sleeping bag. She wakes up and she's trying to get out of it. And she looks up and she sees the stampede heading towards her. And you can see them coming. She's trying to get out of her sleeping bag. She gets out just in time, and but is broadsided um, by a cow, and she flies into a tree trunk. She screams for her dad. Nat is on the other side of the compound trying yeah, to... Yeah, you can see a tiny bit of his head through all of the herds of cows going by. Yeah. You get snatches of them in the gaps between the animals. He's, uh, he's screaming for her and screaming for his men, trying to get um, things in order, because these rushes, these stampedes, happen quite a lot because of things like snake bites or a bush rat or um, a lightning strike in the distance. Anything could bush stop rat. them. Yeah. Bush rat, there you That's, go. Sorry, we have got a Ozometer in the bottom left-hand <laughs> corner of the screen for all you we listeners, do. and it's been it's been going great guns. And so they're trying to get like people away from the camp, get the cows away from the fire, just trying to get some order. Alex, she screams for her father. Um, Nat's on the other side of the compound, and he's screaming also for her. And she scrambles up this tree so that she can get out of the way and she's holding onto this tree trunk as all the cows are stampeding around her and they're barreling into this tree which is a very dry wooden tree and it's getting... Yeah, taking little chunks of flying off. The father on his horse, he, he sees her climbing up the tree and he waves her and she waves and she says, I'm okay. So then he's got to go back to 
by sorting out this mess, saving the cattle because they're so valuable. Meanwhile, Blake and his gang have mounted horses and they're riding around desperately trying to calm the stampede because obviously they didn't set the stampede off. Because despite, as I've written here, despite their assholery, <laughs> they've come for the cattle, so they must try and gather them up, right? Their cattle are so valuable. So they kind of, Nat and his men and the gang are kind of working together in a way. For now. For now, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. So they're doing the same kind of moves, trying to herd the cows and calm them down. But um, Blake and his men kind of... Are, with the, the calmed cows, they're driving a wedge between them, trying to siphon off some of the calmer ones and trying to get them away so they can rustle them and, and be off. Yeah, yeah. And then the gunfire starts because they don't want this to happen. Then there's, like, mounted shootouts, more cows going crazy. So Alice watches the through the smoke of the bushfire as more and more um, cows stampede past her, crashing into the tree trunk, and it's crumbling. And she tries to call out for help. Um, as the tree is about to be swept away by the stampede, she sees her father in the distance run out of ammo on his gun and he throws it to the ground and he just, on his horse, just charges towards the nearest bad guy who happens to be happens to be Blake. And then Blake uh, takes, unshoulders his rifle and calm as a cucumber amongst all the chaos, just shoots Nat clean off his horse. Oh, mate. And just as that happens, the tree snaps the tree trunk snaps and the tree falls down and crashes onto a a cow that is charging past snapping the cow's neck alice falls down on the ground the cow falls down dead next to her the tree falls on top of them both she's wedged in between them and the stampede is over should i put some drums in they like Dude, the I, 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 I so nearly <laughs> went bam, 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 bam. <laughs> <laughs> the dust settles. The dust settles. Stampede is over, and then during the aftermath, we'll, maybe we'll get like the um, the calmness, and then maybe a fate of black, and then the sound of spurs brings the scene back up. And yeah, yeah, Blake yeah. and his men have rounded up and secured a good thousand cattle away from the fire and the destroyed camp. Some of them are keeping watch, and the others are kicking up the debris and the su- supplies and seeing what they can scavenge, what's left, what's intact. Blake finds um, the mangled and shot Nat on, on the ground. He oh, takes mate. his watch, he takes his documents, very important, he takes his journal and he takes a Bowie knife from him. And Blake looks at the handle of the knife and he sees etched in it, fair dinkum. He pockets the knife. And then from that little scene we hear a gurgle and a moan and Blake tracks it to find the gang member who was bitten by the snake, one of his own men. He's still alive. Miraculously, he wasn't trampled by Wicked, <laughs> but he is still bitten by a snake. Blake gets down onto his knees and cradles the man. The man closes his eyes, and Blake says, cattle, horses, men, in that order. And he takes the Bowie knife and puts it into the back of the guy's neck. Yeah, 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 definitely. And then we see the herd being driven off into the night that we pan down over the fallen tree and dead cow to see Alice lying there, still out cold, but she's breathing. And then the morning she wakes up and she pulls herself free and she's in shock and devastation at the scene before her. The destroyed camp, dead animals all over, dead stockmen, you know, friends, people that she's been on the road with for a year and a half. She finds some of her possessions scattered about, including a pistol, and she inspects the entire scene. She finds her father and's pretty distraught at the state of his body that's kind of been trampled and desecrated. And ransacked. And, yeah. and ransacked, yeah. She works through the morning and the early afternoon as best she can to bury the dead in shallow graves covered in branches, tarps, loose earth. She, th- she thinks this is the first thing I need to do is to bury and the dead. And it'd be what her dad would do, get things squared away before you move on. Yes, yeah. yeah. 
And then with her work done, she's just overcome with everything. She collapses down and uncovered in, in the on the camp. And she wakes up in the early afternoon with a start. Her head is throbbing, she's sweating. She's so dehydrated. The nightmare continues. She hunts around for water, doesn't find anything. <laughs> she, makes, she makes some shelter, tries to stay out of the sun. Then she has dreams of the stampede, flashes of her father, the horror. And now the father's like appearing to her like a zombie. And she wakes up from her nightmare, the sun blazing. She takes the pistol and puts it to her head. And she hears her father's voice. And he says to her, family, prayer, work. And then she opens her eyes, the sun is still blaring. She crawls out, gasping for water. Yeah, I like that as a counterpoint to Blake's uh, mantra. C cattle uh, that, horses, That's man. lovely. Yeah, yeah that's you. brilliant. Yep. So she finds a knife in her possessions and she gets to the nearest steer and slices into its belly, uh, scooping out the blood and the viscera and getting as much moisture as she can from it. And then that evening, she's made a little fire and she's cooking some hunks of the beef torn from the cattle, and she knows to stay where she is. And then we cut to Blake River's gang, and they ride into a small cattle station, and their drove is secured and guarded, and Blake um, and his men go into the little cattle station, and he uses Nate's documents to prove mm -hmm. who he, like, to fake who he is. He says, I'm Nate, I'm the drover, I'm taking these things to Dajara. Yeah, we're a few short, we met some bastards out on the trail. But that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what happens. They gather up some recruits saying they lost some men on the way to a rush. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we'll have Awaken Fright-style nighttime, not debauchery, but they just cut loose. They've got away with it. They're at a cattle station. They drink heavily. They have fun. Yeah. So we're kind of on day three now. Alice waits for Cardi and her brother to return, the ones who have gone off. By this time, they would know that they're not coming, so they would come back to see what's going on. She waits. She prays. She stays out the sun. The cow blood is now turning. It's been a few days. The buzzards and are flies everywhere. Flies I want the coming. scene absolutely livid with flies, man. And it yeah, starts that buzz. Great. I want to start like to build, to build over the time that she's there until it's that uh, forever ticking clock in the background that you can't mm. unhear. Yeah, it's really, really landing on a growing yeah. buzz. Yeah. yeah. So first light, she makes a drastic choice. She packs up her swag and as much useful stuff. Her swagger sounds like she's got like a little <laughs> like, 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 It's something from the Oscar parties or something. Yeah. From, <laughs> yeah, Elton, he hosted such a marvellous do the other night. I've got, got Swag Swak Swakovsky uh, <laughs> diamond bracelet. Uh. <laughs> a spa voucher, that'll come in handy. She packs up her sleeping bag and as much useful stuff as she can as she leaves the destroyed camp behind. She's ready to walk out now to hopefully link up with her brother and Cardi, maybe as they're coming back, which is a huge gamble. She heads out. Blake and his gang happen upon an indigenous settlement and they stop there to get supplies and mingle with the locals. And we get a montage of Javelis walking through the outback now. So we have the drinking from the creeks, eating the leeches, the insects as she's moving. At nighttime, she's got a frog that she's put on a skewer and she's just cooking it over her. So after this long walk for a good few days, she meets up with Francis and Cardi finally, like they see her coming over the horizon and perhaps at first they think it's a mirage. They tend to and they think it's a miracle that she walked it and she asked her, why didn't you come back? And they said they would have in three days' time because that's the plan. It's only been 
five days. The plan is a week, and then we come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have a happy reunion. She tells them of the rustlers and the death of the father and everyone else, and Francis immediately wants to ride out alone and tells Cardi to take care of Alice. Alice, on the other hand, says, look, I can take care of myself. I've been drinking my wee for three days, mate. She wants to, <laughs> she wants to recover her strength. And then takes she a slug, slams it down. Yeah. <laughs> Spits in his face, like, lines up some shots. What have you fucking done? <laughs> what have you ever done, eh? He's sat in there to a tent. Um, so, yeah, so she says, like, I need to recover my strength and we ride out together, so... She does indeed. Maybe she's her wounds attended to by Cardi. They bond a little bit and they ride out together. Act two. This is where it gets into super bullet points. I don't have an act two, really. I've got an act three. That's fine. So oh, you got, you got lots of bullet points, man. That's, that's like an act two. So Alice and Cardi are bonding um, as they're riding out. It's taken a while. You know, maybe they're two horse, they're two to a horse and Francis on his own. Yeah. Camping overnight. Cardi cooking. Alice says she's a terrible cook, but how does he do it? And Cardi says, she's never seen him with a cookbook or anything like that. How do you learn this stuff? And Cardi's very ashamed to admit that he can't read. But Alice says, there's nothing to be ashamed of. On on that trek, Alice begins to teach Cardi how to read. Alice now bringing her um, natural teaching ability, just like using that as something that she can hold on to, something that she can bring a bit of humanity to all the things she's seen. And I've got control. I can control this situation. I've got ownership over the situation like I haven't had for the last, like, 45 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And I think we'd have Francis, although he's very obviously very happy to see Alice alive and happy, probably a bit begrudging that she's coming along with her, doesn't think she has the, the, the skills to survive, even though she survived the war. And he's worried. He's like, he doesn't want her to worried, die on yeah. his watch, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They arrive at the cattle station and they prove that mm-hmm. Blake is not Nat. He is, in fact, Blake Rivers. So some people from the cattle station ask to join their gang because rustling is one of the worst things you could yeah. possibly do in, that, in those times. You have to um, stamp it out. But maybe they'll come across the... Um, the indigenous people settlement and it's been destroyed or it's been ransacked and yeah 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 and we're suddenly uh, witnessing a scene like they left at the uh, very start of the yeah. film when they destroyed everything yeah maybe there's a lone survivor i said like a young boy who's who's there or a young girl's clinging to their parents a boy called um cohen and they now the cohen is taken with alice and they all go together and the team, so kind of a wider team now, agree that Blake Rivers and his gang can only be brought to justice in one way, which is they need to be shot or hung. They can't go to prison. They, can't, they won't stand trial for this. But they know there are two, maybe three cattle stations that they in ahead that they could possibly go to on this trail. So they're going to send out some riders. Obviously, they're going to be way faster than Blake and all his 3,000 head of cattle or 1,000 head of cattle that he's got. Yeah. So they're going to try and get ahead of them to the way stations and warn them, maybe prepare, set a trap. So Cohen joins... Um, the, the young boy joins the, the troop or the, the convoy, I guess, as they go out on this hunt on the on the trial. During camp one night, Cardi's learning to read. Alice is teaching Cardi to read, and maybe Cohen joins them, and he starts to learn to read. And then Francis is watching on, softening as he sees his sister. has She now has a little school. <laughs> she's nice. making yeah. the best of anything. She's being, in a, she's being in a bit of brightness, a bit of humanity. And then we go into 
Don't know what happens, don't know what happens, don't know what happens. But <laughs> Blake and the gang are at the cattle station. The, the cattle are, have been spotted and they know that they're in town. The emissary comes back or something like that. Well, like, you get you get your riders, you get two have come back from the three and one ain't come back, mate. And that in itself is your answer as to where the hell they are and where to direct yeah. yourself. Okay, so... So then, you, get, you get two guys ride in and they're like, nah, nothing, mate, nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. empty. No one's seen hiding or hair and no one bad out there. And they're like, all right, nice. well, where's Jeff? So then they know. And Jeff is like, well, that's, that's where he is. That's, you know... <laughs> He's, Murray's in the pub. That's why he hasn't come back. <laughs> Where's Murray? Just using my noodle, mate. Okay, so yeah, we'll have that. They'll, two of the emissaries will come back and they, they realise they're in this specific way station, this specific cattle station. Francis gathers up a troop, leaves some people behind to tend to the horses and everything like that. They can't all ride in there. And they ride off. Obviously, uh, after them, sneaks Alice on a horse and catches up with them. Francis is a bit furious, but she wants she wants a taste of this action. Yeah. yeah so they, maybe they they get to the cattle station and they they go in softly, softly to scope out who Blake is and what does he look like. And they go in and then maybe they're playing cards or they're having a wake and fright style horrible drink up. And they go in and we'll have a scene where it starts out everyone's in control, but because of the drink and the boozing, they kind of have to get involved to ingratiate themselves in, and it goes a bit wrong. Maybe some other people on Alice's crew have got a vendetta as well because of the Blake being a rust, or maybe Blake recognises one of them, yeah, and then yeah, it all yeah. kicks off. And it, you well, know, dude, been... um, we've got the knife. Uh, like, mm. let's let Blake. He's doing a bit of a bishop hand knife game, mm. or there's something he's doing something with a knife, or he slams it down on a table in the middle of a like. Ar- that sets Francis off because. Yeah. And then we see, and then we that, know, and the links, and then right, this is it. Then it goes off, bam. Okay, so yeah, um, Blake will um, Blake will kill Francis after maybe squaring off with Alice. Maybe they have a tête-à-tête. Maybe they're playing cards or something. And they're having a conversation, a bit like Hans Lander and um, Shoshana in the restaurant in Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> yeah. Blake kills Francis, and Alice is probably going to get winged as well. Um, shot in the arm, perhaps, and Cardi saves her. She's furious at Cardi, but he, like, puts her on a horse, like, gets the hell out of town, and she wants to stay and fight. You know, I'm still in this fight. They get back to the their own little encampment. The next morning, Alice and the remaining crew... Cardi and whatnot says like we're on them we know where they are roughly maybe there's like a bit of geography they say if they get all the cattle through this ravine or something then they've automatically got a week on us or something they get yeah 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 no yeah but yeah putting a natural landscape bottleneck yeah or there's a territory once they cross that border with the documents that he's got which my dad's it means that they are his or something like that they they can sell them and we need to stop them from getting there yeah we can't get word to that place we haven't got the time we're not going to overtake them yeah yeah yeah, okay the act three it'll be a big the big final battle the the herd are going through the ravine or they're getting all rounded up and Blake and his men are desperately trying to get them through hurry things up maybe being a bit slipshod about things they're not quite as calm they're just like we've got to get going the cows are getting more nervous because they're being hurried along and it's maybe some of them are like rolling ankles and just being a bit more treacherous. The type, this period of the, the trek would normally be done very, very slowly, maybe over a whole day and they're going to try and do it. In hours. In a, like, in, in and, hours. You, and you're saying like animals, like they're, they're slipping into creeks and starting to low yeah, and, and like, oh, just leave the fuckers behind, come on, you know, they're really getting it moving. And then on top of the hills, perhaps the Argang... Alice and her crew, Cardi and whatnot, are up there and they think, right, this is it. 
was just going to go down there and take them out. They charged down, cavalry charge, I guess, down the mountain. <laughs> um, and then the, the cattle at the bottom have had enough, and now we get a rush. Alice is up on the, on the hill next to Cardi. She's obviously injured, yeah. and he's providing rifle support. Shooting the trying to shoot the men, maybe clipping a few cows, just yeah, and they're going the even more insane. Yeah, yeah. So Cardi's providing rifle support, and Alice, through the the dust kicking up, and from her elevated position, she can see that Blake is preparing to skin out and abandon every abandon yeah, his maybe mate. get through that barrier to um, a neutral zone or whatever that border provides him with, and fuck the rest of this. Alice can't have that. Cardi looks around to see Alice mount up and charge down herself. And so he gets on his horse to try and come up to go down with her, but he's a little bit further behind. And Alice just charges her horse straight through the stampede. They were coming at her. She just straight towards Blake. And Cardi comes down off the hill and he can't get next to her. He can't get in, in with her. She's just been too crazy. So he goes around the side and kind of flanks it. So he's providing support from the flank. And firing as well, like if you can imagine, it'd be really cool. He's on a horse with like a rifle, but not aiming well, but trying to pick off men. Yeah, as yeah, he's yeah. providing cover. As she's, I, I like I, a little bit of me wants like he just grabs the reins in his mouth, mm. reaches into the side saddle, Winchester out, cocks, and yes, just, like that, yes. he, and he gets away with like taking <laughs> a couple before the horse starts yeah. to lose it. And he, and, oh god, he's gone. He's only got a pistol yeah. left. He's dropped. He's had to grab the reins again. Yes, that's exactly right. So he does all that. Then um, he's thrown from his horse after we have this really cool bit where he's providing cover yeah. he's thrown from his horse scampers up to a rock to avoid the um, the cattle and he tries to shoot to provide more cover meanwhile all her men or their men and Blake's and River's men are kind of getting into scraps and shootouts people are falling left right and centre and then Blake on his horse gets knocked off and he falls down as well in amongst the stampede um, Alice sees this happening in the distance so then Blake is so disorientated in the stampede. He's got zero visibility, so it's in the daytime. So imagine that we're on ground level now with... So it's with, orange um, almost with, with Blake. dust. So it's or, super, or, yeah. super orange, zero visibility. Suddenly, like, a cow goes right past him. <laughs> <laughs> and he yeah. goes, ducks yeah. out of the way. Then another one comes. And uh, he's firing blindly, and he's ducking out the way of his And yeah, dude, really and through the dust, like he's he's taking a few pop shots through the dust. It's almost like an acme cloud of fighting or something yes, like that. Yeah, and yeah. then like he takes a few shots, and like a cow just comes crashing through and slumps down because he's hit it in front yeah, of just him. Just more him. dust yeah. comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he sees through this dust and the smoke and the sunlight dappling through. He sees something that looks a bit like a shape of a horse or something. Could be anyone. So he just shoots at it. And, of course, it's Alice's horse. The horse gets hit. Horse buckles. Alice flies through the air, crashes into Blake. And they tumble down on the ground. And then they get into a horrible, brutal fist fight ah. on the ground as all the, as all the cows and steer are just tr uh, stampeding past. And then... Obviously, Alice isn't particularly good in a fistfight, mm -hmm. and Blake Rivers is quite good in a fistfight. So he's kind of wailing on her, and maybe he's wailing, but then he gets clipped and he rolls on the side, which buys some time for Alice to get on top and get her shots in. He gets the the Bowie knife out, tries to tries to stab her, knocked out of his hand by another cow. Can we have one of his hand get trampled? Like, yeah, knocks well, out well, and, yes, that, yes. and that then... Yeah, breaks his wrist. Yeah, and you just yeah. see, like, it, the fingers all splayed and crooked, like, goodness yeah. knows what. So that evens the odds a little yeah. bit, and then Alice can get her shot, her shots in. Then one of Blake's dudes joins the fight, finds them randomly and all this. 
He finds them. He gets in there. He gets knocked down to the side, scrabbles on the ground, finds the Bowie knife and is just about to either throw it to Blake or stab um, Alice herself, who's on top of Blake at this moment. He gets knocked over by a cow and you'd want... I definitely want a cow to come in, mad cow, just miss, <laughs> just miss Alice, and I just want a hoof in her face. Do you know? Do you know? What I mean? It's built for this yeah, scene yeah. And, is built and this for a hoof is like, in a face, and this is Crunch. in a drive style uh, face getting yes. demolished, hoof on a face. Yep. Yeah. Yes, please. Crunch Absolutely. On this, on this goon, and then Alice gets the gets the knife, the 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 Bowie knife, and jams it into Blake Rivers's neck. It's done. Stampede over. Blake is like... Yeah, Stampede yeah, stumbling a little. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe he's like on his feet and he stumbles backwards. And yeah, when him like trying forwards. to talk at this, but like, ah, the yeah. fuck are you done? The fuck are you done to me? That, that kind of a thing yeah. as he's gouting oh, blood out of his gun. I think I'm a goner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Chopper yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little early for Kung Fu, isn't it, Jimmy? <laughs> so then um, Blake River slumps down dead, bang, and his head lolls to the side. The camera will come down to the... Um, Blake Rivers's crown and the knife sticking out from his head, and it'll just say "Fair Dinkum" <laughs> on the side. Just as Alice, walk, Alice walks away, gets on the horse with Cardi, and joins others, and they they canter off. Fair Dinkum, and then the Dedalman. A few years later, Cardi is sitting on the porch of a house, rocking a little crib, looking over some land. Alice comes out of the porch, comes out onto the porch, dressed very smartly, and kisses him good morning and leaves. And we have a classroom of children all sitting there well-behaved. And Alice enters, walks around the desk, and she looks out at the children and she smiles. And um, Cohen is on the front row. Mm-hmm. And maybe she, write, she writes on the board, today's lesson, family, prayer, work. So that was my big, long pitch for <sighs> Fair Dinkum. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Throughout the <laughs> pitch, I was just, it was, I was living in a, in a, a half proposition-esque kind of world yes, that you were yeah, taking yeah, yeah. me through here, man. With the, uh, and it's only, it, do, it doesn't even need to be uh, arch and surreal. It's just the landscape itself feels so surreal based on the experience that we have of like, you know, the climate and the landscape here. It feels like such a, another world. Yes. And to play on that and to tweak all of that slightly, as well as having these bursts of hyperviolence, I was really getting real, real proposition, nice. gritty, sweaty, mm. scrabbly, uh, fighting for your existence uh, kind of a vibe, which it propels me yes. through things like this i love stuff like that it's absolutely in my wheelhouse man thank you while my mind was racing with the proposition during it (laughs) it was also racing with just a absolute smorgasbord of australian actors that i love and want to see in this film (laughs) (laughs) i've written a lot of names down man a lot of names but like who are you thinking mate well for the father for nat we'll get a nice cameo from joel edgerton Ah, oh, beautiful. Yeah, kindest eyes in cinema, I think, almost. Yeah, he's up there, isn't he? Um, and that's about it. Who have we got? Come on, give me your, give me your castings. Okay, well, um, <laughs> I was thinking for uh, for that, I was thinking a Hugh Jackman cameo uh, mm-hmm. to do his, like, beautiful beaming dad and, like, he can have a little sing-song as he's as we yeah, first introduced to him, nice. something like yeah. that, man. I think he'd be well up for doing that. And he can go home and visit some relatives while he's shooting, man. It's going to cost us yeah. a bit less as well. As well as the proposition, this made me think of a movie, Australian movie called uh, Mystery Road. Then that was followed up by a sequel called Gold, Goldstone, which is um, all about an indi- indigenous Australian detective called De- Jay Swan who gets like 
wrapped up in this town's absolute corruption. And in it, I, th- I believe Hugo Weaving plays Ooh. one of the villains in it, and he is absolutely fantastic. I mean, we know he's good at villains, but like we're talking mm-hmm. a more scuzzy, uh, handlebar moustache-wearing actual real-life villain as opposed to the wonderful Agent Smith smelling sweat off a dude's heads (laughs) kind of a thing. You know, it's a bit less uh, full-on than that. So he immediately came in when I was thinking about Blake. Uh, And then we'll get to, like, uh, obviously, Ben Mendelsohn is never far from the conversation when we're talking about this. nor should he be. And he could do either. He could do. He could do Nat. He could do. But he could even come in for Cardi or Francis potentially, depending on how old the brothers are. Like I would like to or see. Or just um, someone at the cattle station. Maybe we could have scenes where they they meet a cattle station guy who's almost like a a rustler himself. He doesn't really care. He's doing shady deals anyway. You know, maybe he's... He he's runs done them with station. them before. In he's fact, he knows them, Blake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's, he's keeping everything close to the chest because he can see how flipping angry yeah. Francis and co are about the whole situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just see yeah, a nice one-scene, scenery-chewy cameo from Mendelssohn would be great. And that's the beauty of a movie like this. We're, we're cutting across the landscape, this weird landscape that allows us, and we find I find that in a lot of the early Australian movies or whatever, Australian movies in general, there are, there are the opportunities to bump into these strange... Uh, mm. strange uh, characters along the journey. It's almost this fairy tale kind of logic that sits upon stuff like The Last Wave yeah. and uh, Wake and Fright and, and Picnic at Hanning Rock or whatever even. Who have you got for Alice? I put her as 19, but you can definitely change that up. doesn't matter. Okay, uh, yeah, because I was desperate. Again, we know how terrible old Father Luke is at <laughs> recognising <laughs> anyone Father below, Luke. like, 25. I'm like, what, what, Priscilla? <laughs> she does what now? <laughs> An actor, you say? Um, so I, I, don't, I haven't got anyone, I must admit, man. It's terrible of me just to come to this party empty-handed, man. But I was, like, Googling okay. for a few, like, potential names. I'm not going to mention Samara Weaving again, you know, that kind of jazz. That's the only one I've got. <laughs> it's Samara Weaving's written yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So I, I, I'll need more research to uh, to truly come up with someone other than that. So yeah, I, I, well, I, let's I, both let's both go for that. Should be fantastic. Right, I, can, I can imagine her. She obviously throws herself into every role. She's a great, great actor. I can imagine her just doing that that montage where she's eating the crickets. She's um, eating the leeches. She's scooping muddy, sludgy water and. Like really throwing herself into it, hundred yeah. percent. Okay, well, as as I believe Samara Weaving, we've mentioned you several times because of how absolutely excellent you are as an actor. This is the time where we say we are, we are we are not going to consider anyone else. This role is for you. Yeah. All right. We've written I think this for you. Absolutely, about time we did that. To be fair. Okay. So, have you got any directors in mind for this, Graham? Man, it's got a, a lot of scope. I guess you're there's big vistas and these. You'd be good at that. Like when it started, I, I was Jane Campion, potentially, because mm-hmm. of yeah, yeah. the big vistas and the story and power of the yeah, you know, power of the dog kind of a thing. Then when it then when bulls started killing people in my head, which happened quite a lot. <laughs> there were lots of hoofs, <laughs> as I said. Um then I went more like Greg McKean, who did uh, Wolf Creek. Um and yeah, because sure. if you want the the tension man He's very good at that. I think he would bring all of the violence that we need when the violence occurs, as well as that through line of tension uh, and it'll be interesting to see if he 
could what else he could bring because that's all I remember from Wolf Creek is being terrified and tense quite frankly George Miller if we're going Australian directors George Miller would be pretty good he might bring like a big romantic sweep to it as well yeah 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 and imagine the scenes when uh, all of the the clouds of red dust and the sunlight coming through clouds he's absolutely built for something like that without a doubt well, I think that's about it for Fair Dinkum. Dude, thank you so much, man. That was excellent. You are welcome. My mind cinema is scorched and warm right now. I'm feeling very <laughs> sun-bleached after that experience, man. And not a little trampled as well, I must admit, man. But all fingers are intact. Uh, <laughs> Good. And skull intact, face intact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unlike uh, certain members of the unfortunate Blake gang. Oh, yes. Right. So then, I think that just leads us on to you pitching myself and all of us in the mind cinema well graham first off i've got a confession to make you changed the name (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i ditched it like immediately (laughs) Uh, the time's come for me to colon you man Oh! I'm whipping out the colon. Oh, the colon is coming out. That's it. It's been okay. 11 episodes in the making, guys. But now, uh, here we go. I'm going to colonate this horse. Now, does the colon come before or after stiletto? This is interesting. It comes after stiletto. It comes after stiletto. Okay. So, I am going to pitch Excellent. for your, all of your listening pleasure and yours as well, Graham, my friend. Uh, stiletto, a Billy Joel fable. <laughs> Are we going biopic territory? No. (laughs) No, No, I'm taking some uh, extensive liberties with the life and career of Mr. Joel as the uh, ensuing uh, few moments will probably probably, uh, uh, show to you all. Okay. We're going to open up on a close-up of fingers hovering over ivory. Smoke in the room, the crowd you can hear murmuring with excitement in the background. We pan out as the fingers hit a very familiar tune. And I've just written doo doo la doo doo bop doo 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 diddle 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 doo 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 dee dee dee, which translates as the opening notes to Piano Man, as we all know and love, of course. A oh, bouffant okay. hairdo. Gotcha. Bops and sways as the band kicks in and we pan around Carnegie Hall. It's the 1970s and Billy Joel's star is on the rise, man. We start with this powerful rendition of Piano Man. The crowd goes wild, the band are on it, Billy's fingers are leaping all over the place. It's absolutely incredible. So we meet Billy at his peak and we got the Piano Man intro. Carnegie Hall, he's going from strength to strength, topping charts and breaking hearts, man. He's got the attention (laughs) of the Western world, but he's suffering from burnout. He's mistrustful of the record companies. He's still kind of smarting after the Cold Spring Harbour mess up that happened at the start of his career when they mastered the entire album about half speed too quick, so he sounded a little bit like a chipmunk. (laughs) He doesn't know how to follow up The Stranger, like his biggest album to date, which came out in 1977. And he goes off stage, and the second he does, we just see him deflate. He gets a call from his management. Oh, that was dynamite, kid. We can't wait to hear what's next. (laughs) And he's like, next? I've, I've given you everything. I've given you my all. I haven't got a next. I'm, I'm, I'm burnt out, man. And we just see him sat backstage in the green room, leafing through, pathetically through his sort of musical notations that he keeps in this leather satchel. Now, this universe version of Billy Joel is a real earnest, self-obsessed and completely clueless dude. Uh, and, it, and a mix between that and like Danny McBride from Eastbound and Down with that like massive confidence despite not really knowing what's going on okay so that's kind of where we're pitching lovely billy so keep all of this in mind as i describe the next scene where backstage (laughs) he is approached by the nsa to go on tour with the the nsa the national security agency security agency come back and they say your group is going to be the perfect place for us to hide an operative 
And Billy's like, oh, you got me a new roadie. And he thinks the company he's talking about is like the record company Columbia that he signed to, man. And Billy's like starting to get a bit of a fire in his tummy thinking like, you're sending me around the world. You think I'm good. I'm worth something. I'm not burnt out. This is amazing. But am I? Can I even do it? And he's like, and the, and the NSA guy like is just a, a roadie. Ah, I like that, Billy. A roadie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a goddamn natural kid. A real slick Rick. Sure, we got you a roadie and he's going to pick up a package for us. Sound equipment. Wink, wink. And Billy's convinced that this is now a tour <laughs> deal. NSA agent's terrible. Oh, yeah, he's absolutely... Uh, wink, 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 wink. Yeah, nudge, nudge. Here's the secrets. Uh, and he's like, wow, this is amazing. My, my tables are turned. I, was, I came off stage feeling unfulfilled. Now I'm, I'm being sent on this, this world tour. I'm getting this cool new roadie. Like, he's like, yeah, just set it up. You guys are pros. I love it, baby. And then the uh, NSA guy says, yeah, we're, we're thinking Frankfurt, Billy. But before that, you're going to stop by Berlin. Your roadie, Sweets Coolridge, has got some primo German sound <laughs> equipment to pick up if you get me. He's a real good guy. He knows the language. It's all on the company. <laughs> and so, bang, we, uh, we play the travelling prayer. We get a montage of Billy packing and flying out with his band. And we see some of the like the little rehearsals to prep. And Sweets is there mm. with him, completely flanking him. This massive, bulky, bearded, hairy dude. All this montage is shot on, like, 8mm. Yes. Sun bleats, sort of L.A. Something's through of, the aeroplane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely bad. And they are, they are having a right old time. Bang! They're in Berlin. Billy receives a formal invitation to the ambassador's ball. And at this ball, uh, he's kind of, he started to slump again. He started to doubt himself again. He's not really sure. He's like, I can't, I've got to play Frankfurt. Has anyone in Frankfurt even heard of me? I'm, like, I'm not worth this. I can't tour, man. I'm, yeah, he started to slump again. And he meets a guy called uh, Felix Trinkenshoe. And he introduces himself as an absolute... Billy super fan and he's also apparently the cultural attaché for Berlin and the minute he sees Billy he is like all beams and he comes up to him like this beautiful bubbling effervescent kid man he's like oh William the American William the American ah uh, sing us a song from your homeland William uh, let us boogie you know and William's like ah Billy's like I, just, yeah, I guess there is a ground over there it's the ambassador's hall and I really don't want to and he does this sort of like the false Ron Burgundy false protest and before like Felix <laughs> has even finished asking Billy he's cracked his fingers he's slammed a little guitar uh, the uh, piano up and he is Amazing. smashes out the ballad of Billy the Kid and he's rocking it so hard man that Felix like he stood there and he's just bouncing next to him bouncing next to him and he can't he can't hold himself back. He sits down next to Billy and he starts hammering away on the keys as well, man. And this scene, we're going to see like two grown men just fall completely in love with each other. And Billy, Billy is working off of him. Felix is working. He's feeding Billy. He's feeding. And, and like just the adoration mm. and the talent that Felix, he's keeping him on his toes, man. He's making him play better than he's ever played before. And they fall in love over the course of this song. And the whole place erupts and the men just slump against each other, like laughing sweating, breathless, and sat at the piano next to each other. And Felix is just like, he's, he's blown away. He's even like got the balls to stand up and do that. He's even more blown away, Billy Letterman, that they finished this song together so marvellously. And he just whacks his arm around him. And he's like, the feeling, it was, it was quite, quite fine, William, my friend, quite fine. And Felix says, like, a bit, William, 
you, you must join me on a night in the town. Let me show you Berlin. Let me show you all the sights that we have. Come on, let's get the hell out of here, man. And Billy's like, all right, well, let's ditch this ambassador's ball, man. I want to go out of the wildcat like Felix, man. I'm digging this guy's groove. <laughs> let's get on this, man. And then Felix says, look, well, William, if yeah, and he opens up a bit to William. He feels very uh, wonderfully naked in front of him and vulnerable, but in a really healthy, he feels so free to talk about anything he wants to with this, with this dude who's bopped out of nowhere into his life, man. And Felix says, look, well, Billy, if you're worried and you, you really want to prove yourself, I will take you to SO36. It's one of the most happening music venues in Berlin. If the crowd love you there, William, they will love you everywhere. And so, bang, we've got <laughs> our... We're kicking off our adventures in babysitting style caper mm-hmm. throughout the streets of Berlin with yes. Felix and Billy. So they've slipped. Oh, Sweets. Sweets is <laughs> back so at the cool. Ambassadors. The band's back at the Ambassadors. They ain't got a clue what's going on. Billy and Felix out into the night, man. And they get lost as they're walking through. We get to see a real nice sort of shots of 70s Berlin. And we're, it's, it's night time. It's getting that sexy, dangerous, interesting parts of Berlin that Felix knows all about. And they're talking about music and they are just bonding, uh, like kind of like before sunrise or something like that almost. These guys okay. are falling yeah, for yeah. each other, man. <laughs> so Felix eventually leads them into a posh underground jazz club. And in the background, in the shadows, there's a deal taking place. And that's between Sweets Coolridge, looking completely out of place with his massive beard and hair forced into a suit jacket, like to meet the club's dress code or whatever. And he's there to meet the British counterpart who is going to be giving this package that Sweets is going to go and get. And we have this tense sort of... uh, uh, the scene in Gross Point Blank between Dan Aykroyd uh, and John Cusack are in the uh, diner. <laughs> so they're in the yeah, middle yeah. of all of this, man. And he's like, have you got the package? And he's like, yes, of course, dear. Well, you followed. If this gets in the wrong hands, I should have burned the damn things myself. Special relationship, my arse. We're last at the teat when you yanks are concerned. And he's like, yeah, all right, cut through the ship, Brit, man. Like, give me the package. You've got the package <laughs> or not. We've, we've made this. This isn't our argument to have, man. And they start, the guns come out underneath the table. Things really ramping up now. And the British guy clocks a few shady people lurking in the background of the club who are clearly trying to make their way over to him. And he's like, who are your friends? The tension ramps up and up. And then Billy leaps into frame. Sweets, you got taste, my man. And he slaps him on the back. <laughs> the silence pistol goes off under the table, but no one noticed because the fan's <laughs> playing. Nearly hits the Brit who jumps massively and tips over drinks all over the table. And Billy like gives him an odd look and goes, you got some weird pals, Sweets. And then he's getting called back by Felix. He's like, William, William, I have your drinks. <laughs> he goes back to the table and Felix goes like, Please, William, now, we have talked so much about music and I had the the pleasure of playing with you. May you please play some for me. And so Billy takes to the stage again at this jazz bar. Reluctantly, my ass, but up he gets, man. And we get uh, Angry Young Man, prelude Angry Young Man he plays. Now, while this is happening, the standoff is still occurring in the background. It's getting even more tense. People are moving in, but people are also moving up and getting on the dance floor floor completely completely covering up any of the uh, the dodgy dealings that are happening sweets just reaches out grabs the package from the british spy and they start to have this rolling fight that they take through backstage into the kitchen they're hitting each other with pans all of this kind of thing he's desperately trying <laughs> yeah. to get whatever the package is off the british spy and they're going for it and they avenge eventually sort of like end up backstage and 
Sweets is like wrestling for his life. He lands smack bang out of the wings, lands on stage and starts to like crawl under the piano. And Billy is <laughs> mid-song, he is playing his absolute arse off and he looks down at like Sweets' head appearing from underneath the piano. <laughs> and he's just like, Sweets, you're a goddamn dynamite, man. You are never off the clock. Tune it up, baby. And he sort of like reaches down and like gives him a high five and then he's completely oblivious, gets back and like Sweets gets pulled straight back under the piano by the Brit. But not before he does. He manages to reach out and he puts the package into the satchel that holds all of Billy's music, man, unbeknownst to anyone. So the place is like absolutely bumping. It's bumping too much for either Felix or Billy to, <laughs> to handle at this point, man. People are getting up on the stage, they're getting up on the tables. Billy started something, bang, they're going to split. The place is too hot, man. So now we're going to continue, as I said, this adventure in babysitting. We're getting, we're thinking like a bit of yeah. After Hours, the Scorsese movie with Griffin Dunn. Oh, yeah. yeah, that kind of like caper around the town, man. What's the, um, what's on with Emilio Estevez? The one oh, Judgment Night. Judgment Night. Oh, my God. Oh, don't, man. Okay, we're, we'll be screening a trilogy of, like, Lost in the City films for you after this, guys, yeah, I promise. Okay. Right, so uh, the two men are going to remain utterly clueless, as I'm sure yeah. you're all aware by now of the situation that's happened. And as they're sort of, like, chasing around town, we're going to get a bit of sweets reporting back to Johnny, the NSA guy, and he's like... Like, you should have seen how he handled himself in the club, boss. Like, he didn't even break sweat. It was it was incredible. The guy's like, <laughs> he's an absolutely natural man. He's a stone-cold badass. And it, he, it looks like he's working with a German or something. He's, like, playing both sides. I don't even know what this kid's up to, man, but it's almost out of my league. So Billy starts to become, like, convinced as we get a series of people who start to try and get his satchel. He starts to get convinced that the agents that are trying to get his satchel are just from, like, Arista Records, like one of the record companies out to steal his notes and give them to that doe-eyed son of a bitch, Barry Manilow, or something like that. Mm. He has no idea what's happening, man. Can we have, like, a few little scenes of, like, they're on the Metro and someone, like, tries to, like, grab his bag? Yes. Like, yeah. they start out... Maybe we'd have a little montage where these like bag snatchers start out quite elaborate, but they're getting so desperate that they get reduced <laughs> down and down and down to them. Like, they dress someone up like a homeless person to just nick it off the subway. Yeah. And there's like a guy coming down like Spider Man on a nylon wire, <laughs> yeah, exactly. trying to like reach it from next to them on a park bench as they're talking <laughs> yeah. wax lyrical about music and things like that. Uh, <laughs> All right, well, that, that will come into play later when the do-wop happens. Okay. This is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> we keep cutting from the NSA, the German secret police, trying to work out what the fuck's going on. They discover, yeah. actually, that Felix is from the secret police from the East. He's a bean pusher or something. <sighs> and they suspect that he might be working with the Americans because why is he hanging out with this Billy guy and he hasn't got the package yet if he's got an opportunity? What the hell's going on? Is he a double agent? How, how else could these guys have outsmarted some of the best agents in the country like so far tonight, man? But they're, and, and they got possession of the cash. They got the package, which is like a microfilm holding all of the dirty secrets on the most powerful people in the world or something like that. There we go. We've got a MacGuffin kind of a thing. And they end up in a bar and they bump into Lou Reed, Bowie and Iggy Pop. Oh, now we get some casting going. Now, Lou Reed, Bowie and Iggy Pop are well clued up on all of the weirdness that's happening around Berlin, man. All of this secret spy shit. Oh, and they're like, look, we're, we're going to split this town, Billy, and you should too. This is crazy off-the-books spook shit happening at the minute. And Billy, like, frowns and goes like, oh, it's so fucking old, how could it not be haunted, man? Crazy German ghost, man, it's wild. 
<laughs> and he peers into the dark corners of the bar and like he just starts sort of like muttering weird shit all right man sons of bitches are after my music man and he hugs his satchel tight and then excuses himself and he goes takes himself off to the bog and we see him coming out of the bathroom stool and he's adjusting himself and the satchel and there's a man waiting for him bang toilet fight because this guy just like starts talking in whatever language from whatever spy agency he works with he just starts blabber demanding stuff and billy's like you ain't having my fucking music man and our billy from the bronx man he comes out swinging he ain't gonna yeah, let anyone near that shit man he completely brony tank yeah <laughs> you goddamn mook he absolutely lays him aside man lays him to waste comes out like just like ah and he goes up to the back up to the bar and he's like you gotta get a Better class of fan, Mr. Bowie. Those cats are wild. And like Bowie's like, <laughs> you seem to take care of them okay. Very spunky. And he's wuzzle, like, wuzzle, wuzzle, wuzzle. <laughs> <laughs> and Billy's like, Billy, I'm from the Bronx. you seem to have taken care of them in your own special way. The dexterity you showed with your fingers is clearly belies your talents as an athlete, William. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's just like, yeah, well, I'm from the Bronx, man. What do you expect? He duffs up his takes the collars up and he's like, like come on, man, we, we got to get the hell out of here, man. Like, come on, Phil, let's blow this joint. This place is weird. Just give me, give me the heebie-jeebies, man. And uh, we have Sweets. Sweets Coolridge is now following in the wake of all of this, scrabbling to find what the hell's going on with the package he stuffed in Billy's uh, satchel. And he finds the unconscious agent in the toilet. And he's, again, he's back on the blow to Johnny going, like, honestly, this kid, he's a killer, man. He's an absolute killer. I don't understand how he's doing this. This guy's but, a weapon. Yeah, like, honestly, like, I, it's not just the piano he can play fast, man. This guy, he's obviously trained. He's trained for, I don't know how he's doing yeah. it, man. He's absolutely a mate. <laughs> so Felix and Billy, they, they go back off and they, uh, they, they have a couple of beers together. Billy's still, like, dusting himself off, adjusting himself after the loo fight and says it's completely wild. Um, and they go to another place and, like, you see, um, I think we'll see, like, Felix will show a badge, you'll flash something to, like, get entry into this place. Mm. And Billy's, like, he sits them down, they're having a real heart-to-heart. They got to that kind of, like, I love you, man, <laughs> sort of, like, phase of the night that we all get to, man. And the son, he's, like, look, like, Felix, this t- this is absolutely amazing. You're making my heart burn. And Felix is, like, he's just, like, it's crazy, it's crazy. And Felix is, like, oh, you want to know crazy, Mr. William? <laughs> well... He goes on and he says, like, Billy, in all night in your music, you've given me honesty. And I feel it is my duty to give you some honesty back. And he says, I have been in the midst of this crazy, this, this, this iron bed sheet that has been up. I have been in the middle of this. This is, this is the life I have led. And it started off hard for me. But in the midst of bureaucracy and confusion and red tape, I can use things to my advantage. And he set up a secret organisation, or he set up an initiative within the West called Stiletto, which is the specialist talent intelligent liaisons and engagement for the termination of tyrannical oppressors. And he says, William, like, I, I didn't set this up to get find anywhere any tyrants i said that off because i get free tickets to rock and roll man like so many departments and they're all so afraid of the west i have no taste for warfare hot or cold this way a little smoke and mirrors and and i get to see so much music i have seen the genesis although that phil collins oh not my friend and he's been through this <laughs> litany of bands under the guise of this stiletto that he managed to set up in the in the in the darkness of the confusion of what was happening on both sides of the iron curtain to be fair they finally make it after this heart to heart which is sort of forged their bond even stronger man to uh, so 36 
And Felix says, Billy, this is your time. I will stand back now and I will say no more. I will just let you do what you do. And Billy gets up on stage and there's like, it was quite a punky new wave kind of a, kind of a gig, man. He's got a lot of work mm -hmm. to even begin to impress these guys with the piano, the beaten up old little piano that's up there, man. But he cracks his fingers and he gives up one of the finest renditions of scenes from an Italian restaurant that there ever has been, his absolute opus, this 10-minute beautiful nice. journey through the suburbs, man. And he sings and plays every note better than he has ever played it before, man. And so during this, this is where we're going to get the agents have come in and we're going to get a Temple of Doom, like, like the intro of Temple of Doom, where you had the musical number and people fighting for a package. Mm, we're going to mm, have mm, that mm, in this. So we're going to have that. We've got like Swan comes back in and he is like trying to fight off agents that are trying to make their way up to the stage to get Billy. Billy is just busy rocking out, man. He hasn't got a clue what's going on. <laughs> Still he, got no clue. Really. No, he it's thinks so like the record guys are back, man. He spots a couple of dudes he's seen before. <laughs> he's playing away and he sort of like goes to the other stage, kicks one right in the face as he's doing it, man. He starts rocking out hard and lifts the little piano up just as he does a knife bring into the back of it. And it's all completely unbeknownst to him, man. He's like managing to That's fend so off cool. all of these dudes. So like Sweet <laughs> gets involved. He's trying to fend people off as best he can. The place turns into an absolute riot, man. People are grooving, screaming. Agents are getting trampled they're getting like picked up and swung about by dancers as they're trying to take shots at him on the dance floor billy finishes up sweating beaming and stands like arms open in front of the absolute squealing crowd man and then back to felix he's got to get him backstage he needs to thank him he says i've never felt i've never been i felt so revitalized in all of my days man and so they now, we're going to bring it down, we're going to calm down, they're going to have a nice walk throughout the, uh, throughout the very quiet now, we're looking at like three in the morning in Berlin, man. Mm. And uh, they walk past uh, a bunch of dudes singing doo-wop around a lit barrel. <laughs> and uh, Billy, at this point, can't help but just, he starts to sing uh, For the Longest Time, which is this beautiful song about a man who's been sort of woken up and revitalised by a new love. Uh, and... Everyone joins in, even Felix, and they end in this beautiful, massive crescendo. And just as they do, an agent sort of like swipes from out of the uh, out of the bushes. Uh, Billy Satchel goes headfirst into the bin, sets on fire, and runs off screaming down the road. <laughs> But oh, God, he does manage so to grab the... He's got the satchel in his hand, man, and the guy's hightailing it out there, smouldering and screaming, but running with the satchel at this point, man. Yeah. And, like, Billy just shouts after <laughs> he's him. He's holding it at arm's length because he's yeah, on fire, Yeah, he doesn't right? want it to burn. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, it's the only thing not on fire is his arm and, like, that red leather of his jacket as he's running up the road. Felix and Billy dust themselves off now, and they, they're walking arm in arm back to Felix's hotel. Um, they're kind of spent, they've had their night, Billy's done what he needed to do, it's been absolutely incredible, man. And during this time, we see Sweet calling into Johnny, he's like, well, I thought the kid was great, but he's blown it, man, they got away with the package. We've got to get Billy out of here, though, like, we can't, it was fine having him running around doing this when he was, he had the package, he was useful, now we're just going to kill one of the most beautiful talents that this country has produced, sir, and I ain't willing to do that, so we've got to, we've got to pull him out, man. And so... Billy and Felix go back to the hotel room and this is where Swan jumps in and like SWAT team rescues Billy from the situation because he still doesn't trust Felix one jot, man. And he's dragging Billy out of the hotel room and Billy is absolutely enraged. He's screaming. He's like, what the? Get your hands off me. What's going on, man? And he's pulled out. He's extracted. He's gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
Billy is taken back, he's briefed by Johnny that Felix was a member of Stiletto, which was like this apparently an initiative set up by like the German secret police to like catch <laughs> bloody Westerners, man, and like link yourself yeah. to them and start to, you know, corrupt. And that's, I, I'm so sorry. And Billy is, he's heartbreaking. He's like, what? So, so it wasn't, he didn't, he didn't love my songs, man. And Johnny says, I'm sorry, Billy, communism is all that Weasley bastard loved. It was his first and only mm. love. He didn't love your music, man. He loves communism. And Billy's hungover. He's heartbroken. He feels absolutely betrayed, man. He was being used. He was like, Billy, he wanted you for the microfilm. He knew that we were coming in somehow. There was a leak. That's the only reason that guy attached to you, like, mm. flies on shit. Yeah, nothing to do with love. He doesn't think you're that great. And, like, all of the confidence oh, starts to melt away. I can't believe that's true. Poor Billy. Oh, man. And then we got... We, we will also cut back and we'll see Felix like dusting himself off from the SWAT-style rescue and the bang, that's when the German secret police come in, guns in the face, Felix is taken away, man, because they think Felix was working with Busy at Billy and allowed him to escape in the microfilm. So we'll get a nice... Uh, this is where Until the Night kicks in, which is this beautiful, tormented love song between two lovers who uh, don't get to see each other as much as they should, man. And it's like this... It's big and emotional and that's how Billy's feeling. He's hungover, betrayed, but there's there's still some of that validation that he got and we see him go to frankfurt and we see him getting ready for the gig and he's sort of he's still in the clothes he wore that night because they've had two hours to get to frankfurt after all of the finagling and messing around man and he's dusting off his suit and he's pulling his lapels and then he's like ah and he opens up his shirt and he reaches in to his stash of music that he put into his jacket <laughs> to keep it safe from the record company when he went to the bog before he got in a fight with the agent. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he pulls it out and out drops this like spool of like film stuff, man. And he's just like, he sort of like holds it up to the light and he's like, I, I don't know what the fuck this is. I'll leave it there. I'll leave it in the green room until I get back, man. Goes out, he absolutely nails Frankfurt, man. It's absolutely electric. He's never played anything like it. That, and at the end of the gig, he goes out and he says to Sweets, he's like, oh, Sweets, man, like this must have slipped in the slipped in my jacket when you were bear hugging me at the hotel you big fucking lug like what are you a damn photographer or something like as well as a goddamn roadie you guys you run a tight ship man and he hands it back and like sweets is just there like what the, how did you how has this landed what? in my pocket <laughs> okay fine and johnny man when johnny hears about it the nsa agent he's absolutely agape and he shakes billy by the hand at the airport as billy's heading back to new york and he says like like mr joel we, I owe you one. We, the country, the world owes you one, man. And like Billy just goes, I know it, Johnny, and I'll pay him back one song at a time. It's what I do. And then he's off. He's on the plane, <laughs> man. And so because of the rage that Billy has still got and that fire that he's had lit him, he releases 52nd Street and it's his like most successful album to date, man. And on it is the song Stiletto, a song that he wrote about the betrayal that he felt at the hands of Felix, man. <sighs> and it's sort of like a song about an awful relationship between a man and a woman completely transposed. That's just what he felt from Felix, man. It goes top billboard. It makes its way over to East Germany. And Johnny, Johnny swings by and he's like, Billy, thank you again for your service, man. You've stopped, you stopped a complete catastrophe. Oh, and you know that the German dude who tried to burn us, man? He's dead. He's devastated still because there's still so much love that he had from that those, mm -hmm. those seven hours, man. So he writes, good night, my darling, and we see him performing this beautiful song saying goodbye to someone. 
And Billy, he releases the nylon curtain. We see him enter a much more cynical phase of his career. He's starting to question lots of things. He's starting to get slightly political. Uh, he's got Goodnight Saigon on there. It's sort of like his concept album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the years tick by, Billy starts to release, you know, less and less. And he sat there and we'll have like a postcard from Moscow land come at him through his, through his, uh, his PA or whatever. And it's a coded message from Felix. It's not very well coded, but it's a coded message from Felix. (laughs) William, my friend, the night we spent together all those years ago is the only thing that keeps my heart going in the uh, unfortunate circumstances I currently find myself. I miss you, my friend, and I miss what we had together. And as I reach the end of my life, or whatever, he's he's hinting that something terrible Mm. is about to happen, I must forever bid you adieu from these cold shores of Moscow. So Billy thinks, well, Johnny, you said you owed me one, man. It's time you prove that, dude. Mm. And he goes and he sets up, which actually happened in real life, uh, in 1989, Billy Joel went to Moscow and he put on uh, his concert with a K, where he was one of like the few artists who went over there and performed. And he said, this is not about politics. I want to go over there and just spread music and spread what mm-hmm. I do and try and just connect with some people via that way. So in our alternate reality, all of this is a guise so they can go over there. And our end segment is them, uh, we see sweets, back in his big hair and his big beard wig, going over there with Billy, and we see Sweets uh, breaking Sweet Sweet Felix out of his prison as Billy is absolutely rocking the entire stadium to We Didn't Start the Fire. And Billy gets off stage, and he's not interested in hearing anyone say how great he was or anything like that. He goes straight up to Johnny. He's like, did you get Felix? Did you get Felix? And they point him to uh, one of his piano cases. And Billy cracks the lid, he looks in, and up, beaming at him from, uh, from his hiding place in the piano case is Felix. And he just extends a hand out, and they grab it and shake it almost uh, predator-style, man. You can tell the love and happiness in that shake. And then on the plane they go. Oh, my God. They smuggle him out on the tour buses and with all of the accoutrements that you get with an absolute mm. massive, stonking, huge world tour like that. And... Out on the uh, aeroplane, they take off of the tarmac, out from the back of the plane, walks up Felix, they embrace, and then River of Night plays, and then credits. Fucking hell. (laughs) That was the best one you've done. (laughs) By fucking far. Right, okay, so some questions. Yeah, sorry, I'm sure there's plenty. So what we have here is not only a fictional account of Billy Joel and a relationship with someone very important in his life played through his songs. We also get a knockabout Cold War spy thriller (laughs) plus a wild hangover-style night on the town plus a Shawshank (laughs) Redemption-style reunion thing at the end. All wrapped up in your knowledge of Billy Joel songs. Yeah, that's that's what we got, man. We got a slice of Billy there for you guys. Holy, holy (laughs) shit. How the hell did you... Come up with this idea. Now it's going to be an interview section now because I've well, got to get into this. How was, did you come up with it? You said stiletto. The second you said stiletto, it's Billy Joel because of his song Stiletto, which is one of my favourite mm-hmm. songs of his. It's absolutely brilliant, man. Um, and then I was like, right, well, we're going to do a Damien Chazelle-style night in the life of, a bit like Steve Jobs or something like that. We'll do a Damien Chazelle-style sort of like night in the life of Billy to tell you a big story about Billy and all of his life and how it all happened and blah, blah, blah. 
But then there was a bit of me that was like, stiletto does feel like it should be acronymized, if that's a word. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? And then I wrote whatever the flip that I can't remember now, man. Uh, (laughs) And then you worked on it from there. And then then you threaded in the songs. Yeah, and then then it was like, right, well, we need some like badass stonking musical numbers. He's got plenty of them so I can hit the the big notes with, you know, uh, scenes from Italian restaurant, Ballad of the Billy the Kid. And then we've got, Billy's done so many beautiful, Beautiful songs, man. That it's like, yeah, I can yes. thread them in. He's got the stuff for the happy, for the sad, for the whatever the heck, man. This pitch is exactly why we started this all those years ago. This racehorse movies idea. <laughs> this, it's so good. It's exactly why we started it. It's weird, stupid, super, super fucking out there and funny and crazy enough that it might just work. <laughs> well, Do you know dude, what I mean? It's, they're, it's they're really obscure, but it, fantastic. You pulled it together in such a beautiful way. I appreciate that very much, man. That's very kind of you, dude. I could not resist because I like there was the, a massive part of me was saying, Luke, mate, how many people are you going to alienate? One, by just having a film about Billy Joel or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no offence if that's I, I, This is my tribute to Billy, who I love with all of my heart. I man. think there's going to be, there's going to be, like Loving Jukebox, there's going to be a stiletto Billy Joel playlist made. <laughs> uh, uh, you may guess correctly. You might be getting two with playlists some, with here, some people. other songs. There might with some other songs threaded in that well, might be around in the nightclubs. The, yeah. yeah, we mentioned some Bowie's mentioned Iggy, yeah. Reeds, exactly. This film deserves a soundtrack and maybe even a custom thumbnail and a poster <laughs> and a film. All of it. <laughs> All right. Um, while well, I need to get into this, we've got to we've got to dig down and cast this film and bring it bring it to life. Okay. I've got some notes. Not too many. But I got someone I'm happy with. But who have you got? Where are we well, going? Uh, that's a good question. Like, I, I found it, I'll be uh, straight up. Uh, at the very start, I was like, I think I'm just going to have to open call it, casting call for a young Billy. Billy. I, don't know who to, yep. I don't know who to get. But then... Uh, I, got, as, I got six for young Billy. Oh, well, beautiful. That's what I need, man. Because I had uh, Oliver Cooper, who was... He played um, Son of Sam in Manhunter, which is not a very good comparison because he's very made up. But he's also in Red Oaks, <laughs> a TV show that I heartily recommend. And he is extremely sweet and big-eyed and vulnerable. He's got a bit of a resemblance to Billy Joel as well. I think he okay. could work. I don't know anything about him musically okay. or anything like that. I'd prefer someone who could sing and play at the same time as well, but I'm asking for a lot there. I, you yeah, know. I think that's going to be an open casting then if you want them to not I know, and that, yeah, mime. Yeah. And, okay, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. For Johnny, the NSA, I was going Paul Reiser or Matt Damon. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, for Sweet Coolridge, uh, I was thinking. I was thinking John Cusack. We did mention him in. I could imagine him all bearded and scuzzed up, man. Um, yeah. And in a perfect world, it would have been Philip Seymour Hoffman as well. Would be my absolute oh. dream for Sweets because it didn't. I, I, I thought about him as I was doing it. I got very sad, obviously, but also happy thinking about how marvelous he was mm. and how much I'd like him in that man. Or a Jesse Plemons, as I can't get a Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. Well, okay. We'll put Plemons in. Yeah, uh, and that was it uh, for Felix. <laughs> I've got Daniel Brühl. Oh. Because he's got a beautiful okay. energy and innocence about him as well and a really good look for the 70s. Uh, Matthias Schoenhartz maybe as well. I know he's not German, okay. but I think he could do that. Again, he's got that look about him. I'm pretty sure I've got Felix. Okay, right. Um, I think that is like that is my casting, man. It was very sparse on the cast, okay. man. So let's let's. Be okay, so what, should we, do you want to start with my, my Billy Joel? I really do, dude, because it was, it was stumping the heck out of me. I mean, it is tricky... Because it's we want to go young. So yeah. as soon as you said Billy Joel, 
obviously the first person I wrote down was Mark Ruffalo. Probably oh, a bit too old. Sadly, yes. I, I, sadly, probably a bit too old for 70. How old was he in the 70s? He was 33, 30s? I think he was, man, when he was... Okay. Mark Ruffalo, probably too old. Yes. Then then you immediately said Danny Bride, just as I was writing Danny Bride. I think he would be really good. That manic energy, because during those knockabout scenes... Um, and everything's going off like the, the gunfight and the handover whilst the, and it's underneath the piano for directors I then wrote um, David Gordon Green oh yeah, yeah okay. for like Pineapp- Pineapple Express style madness and yeah. then Danny McBride I had Miles Teller for the pianoing but I don't know sure if he had the wide-eyed he's a bit too intense jub- jubilation a bit too intense yeah jo- uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be nice and sweet yes I could see and I think he's musical or he's definitely good at dancing and singing anyway yeah um, but the one I have highlighted, and he's way too old by double the age. <laughs> so maybe if we set this, uh, if we film this in the eighties, maybe. Okay. Uh, Ra- Ralph Macchio. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm so sad. He's double the age. Oh, <laughs> mate, right? We have to do an eight. Like we have to, we have to Im- now invent a time machine. I'm afraid, Graham. <laughs> there is no discuss. other option. <laughs> How sweet and lovely would he be as a young Billy Joe? He'd be perfect. He would be so good at that (laughs) clueless, happy... Happy, just bouncing through everything so nice and lovely. Oh, mate, that is an absolutely incredible shout, yeah. Okay, for my Felix, I've got two. And the first one, I think, for me, is perfect. The second one, it's also kind of perfect, but the first one is German, so... Right, okay. I, for, the, for the first one, I had um, no apologies if I mispronounce your surname. I had Matthias uh, Schweighofer, who was the safe cracker in Army of the Dead and also in Army of Thieves. He's got a real friendly, He's lovely eyes. Wife. He's got a really nice smile, man. A very earnest smile. He's saved lived wire and full of energy. And I can see him seventies up as well. Absolutely. My my other one is <laughs> Anthony Harrigan, who played Noho Hank in Barry who would be, if you haven't seen Barry, also stop this podcast and go and watch the HBO. That means I'm going to have to stop Barry. the podcast. Oh, no. Have you not seen Barry? I haven't oh, seen Barry days. Yet. I know, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh my God. days. Anthony Harrigan is an incredible, dramatic and incredibly funny uh, actor. And Noah Hank really reminds me of Felix in that sweet warm, open, genuinely falling in love. And this yeah, is the best yeah, yeah. moment to ever happen. But then at the flick of a switch, probably could just shoot someone in the head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And Anthony Harrigan plays Noho Hank in Barry. Pitch perfect. It's incredible. Right. Well, I think we might go for Schweikhofer. I love his face. I, like, he, he genuinely he <laughs> looks perfect. like a Felix. Yep. I honestly think the role is made for him. I guess director ideas, I only had two. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I... I, I I think this came when I started bringing like Iggy Pop and stuff into it. I was like Barry Sonnenfeld because he That's can do the two guys working together incredibly well. He can do the romp, he can do the period, and he can do really big effervescent action scenes as well. Mm-hmm. I think he'd be able to handle the, like the ballet of it all. Or if we wanted yeah. to go less shiny and a bit more gritty, probably save a bit of cash as well. Although I'm not sure what Sonnenfeld mm, costs nowadays. Uh, Steven Soderbergh, man. Soderbergh would be fun, yeah. yeah he would yeah. be knockabout, he would be good. I had, um, obviously, Damien Chazelle when it's about the music. Yes, and the, absolutely. Um, obviously, I had Tarantino because the alt-history kind of pop culture thing. David Gordon Green would be good. I like David Gordon Green a lot, yeah. 
But I thought this was pretty well tailored to someone like Doug Lyman. So I was thinking about the energy of American Made. Yes. Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay. For the ending, I did, while you were watching it, I, I was totally in the mind cinema. And I just, when it came to the end, I just said, in my mind, end now. And it was the bit where the piano opens and the hand comes out ah, and okay. it just shakes his hand. Yep. And in my mind, the film, that was a freeze frame. Oh. But, the, but the, it's a freeze frame. Uh, but the audio is still going of crowds cheering and it's yeah. all amazing. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah. think we need oh. the, the aeroplane bit. No, you absolutely. Know? You're quite right. And dude, ending on a freeze frame, right? So it's this this piano box is in the wings and I want the shot from in the wings and Billy's come, come uh, off stage now and we see the hand, we see Billy, we see in the distance, we can see snippets of the crowd and bang, done. And then we're out of there, man. Absolutely. As I said before and I'll say it again, this is what we got into this business for is pictures like that ideas like that came out of nowhere i loved it and so i guess uh, guys and gals that's kind of uh, us wrapped up for the for the episode i think it is and i think we're about to go into our season finale next I week i can't quite we? believe it graham but can't quite believe it i genuinely can't i'm not just saying that because i'm british and it's what we say when things are meant to be surprising to us um, yeah, it's, so it's, it's uh, somewhat bonkers. But yeah, we are prepping for our very, uh, very last uh, episode of this season. So what I think maybe we should do is maybe not tell our beloved audiences what we're going to do next week. We might have a yeah. little special surprise. That's... We might not even tell Lloyd. I'm not telling Lloyd anything after the words. He's had some very fierce <laughs> words with me this morning. I'm not telling him anything for at least like a week or two, man. So I'm afraid you're, we're going to have to Bless talk him. to Lloyd through you and you shall only. I ta- shall if I you talk to mind, Lloyd man, for yes, you? Please. I will yeah. do that. Thank you, mate. So we, will, we won't pick... I'll tell you what we'll do. Should we pick a race now? I think that's a, ve- that's a beautiful little num 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 nah teaser... Let's do that. Let's no, pick no, the no, race. No. Okay, so I think I've got... I reckon we should go to Navan. Oh, we'd love to go to Navan. For the 540 Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust Pro-Am INH flat race for four years plus. Ah. So shall we do that? I think that's fantastic, yeah. I think we should get, get on there. We've got a big selection. We've got a big selection. We've got a little bit of a surprise for next week's episode. We won't tell you what it is, I'm afraid, but... We would like you, all of you, to turn up to the Mind Cinema next week, free of charge. It's on us this time, guys. This one's on us, except for concessions. Lloyd is going to be spooling up some films for you. It's going to be a big old party as we bid you a fond farewell. But that's next week. This week is episode 11, and I guess it's just up to us to say goodbye for this week. It is. I've had a wonderful time, and I'm so, so blown away by your pitch for Stiletto. Well, I've had an equally wonderful time, and thank you for taking me to the dirty, grimy, uh, frenetic, somewhat terrifying landscape of uh, 1917 Australia, man. Oh, it's no, it's no worries, mate. Oh, there we go. I tell you what, Graham, with all the lingo that you've picked up on that accent mate i could i could drop you in sydney right now and no one would spot a jot of difference my friend thanks a lot you flaming galah <laughs> oh guys i wish that i could i wish that you could see how graham how happy graham is to do that accent to me down here like honestly i get to be out from home and away 
fun. <laughs> so anyway, we should probably say goodbye to these yeah, hoons. Yeah. Oh, so we'll see you later. And it's we'll a real, real pleasure podding for you guys. Uh, and we hope, especially after these accents, that you uh, join us next week. <laughs> no, Please really appreciate it, guys. Um, mm. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, take absolutely flipping marvellous care of yourselves because you bloody deserve it. And uh, we look really forward to uh, seeing you for Crikey, the finale. The finale. Meantime, listen to a lot of Billy Joel, please. Take care, everybody. Love you. Bye. Bye. Well, there we have it. Another episode of Racehorse Movies is over. We both hope you had as much fun listening as we did coming up with these films and recording our pitches. If you enjoyed this, please share it around with your friends and loved ones. If it wasn't your thing, I don't know, maybe share it with someone you miffed with. Who knows? If it's not for them either, maybe you two can build some bridges over that connection. But if you did like picking up what we put down and you fancy checking out some more content from us, then head over to theneverpress.com to take a gander at our novels, poetry and other bits and bobs. Anyway, that's about enough from us. Hope to have you back next time for some friendly chats and barely thought through pitches at Racehorse Movies. Ta-ta! Ta-ta!